is your Classic Metal Show right here on theclassicmetalshow.com. That's Motorhead with the tune called Born to Raise Hell from the Bastards release. And on the line right now is the funniest fucking comedian that is out there today. He is the co-host of the Anthony Cumia Show. He is the co-host of A Fair One, also on Compound Media. He sometimes is the co-host of Nightshade, also on Compound Media. I think he's taken over the place. But he has a new record called nimble fingers he is the one and only mr dave landau dave how are you sir i'm not bad how about you great dude uh like like i like i was saying going in man you're the busiest guy out there right now my god it seems like every day you're you're on another show you're in another project putting out a, a release you're busy man yeah, it's a good thing, um, I think, you know, it's definitely a good thing. I do a lot of shows at the network, and I'm on the road doing stand-up, and the rest of the time I'm just spending with my kids, so it's just kind of figuring out what to do next and trying to always stay busy. It's uh, Hopefully I can master one thing eventually, but <laughs> so far I got my uh, my hand in a lot of pots. No doubt, man. Well, dude, let's, let's start with the new release, Nimble Fingers. You know, I, I was lucky enough to see... I guess the work in progress here in here in the Cleveland and Akron area a couple of times, you know, um, it, it's a great special. It, it, it's really funny. It definitely is not going to make any new friends from the people that are, um, you know, shaky about what people say. But that's a good thing, man. It, it, it's it's refreshing to have guys like yourself out there that just don't give a shit when it comes to what's going to offend people. Absolutely. And I think that's what comedy is meant to be. If you, if you don't have your own voice and everything you write, you worry about if somebody's going to get butthurt about it, you're never going to be able to succeed in it. It's, you have to be you. And the cost of finding your voice is, you know, being yourself. And some of the stuff I say people aren't going to agree with or like, and that's fine. I don't agree with a lot of stuff other people say. I, I just don't. I feel that freedom of speech is such an important thing. You can make a joke about anything, and there's this new idea that comics are supposed to follow some sort of, uh, you know, narrative and be a little bit more politically correct, and that we're not allowed to say it's a joke when it is a joke, and I think that's all just nonsense. It, it is a joke. We're comics. We're not role models. We're supposed to be there to be almost the opposite of. So when we're being held to a real standard by a nation that has kind of forgot its idea of irony, it's a difficult thing. Yeah, it's it's so to me, it's absolutely scary that there are people out there that a would take would take anything anybody says seriously past their, you know, past three feet around them. You know, I mean, why? Why worry about what you're saying? Why worry about what I don't know, Louis C.K. or Dave Chappelle or whoever is saying? Worry about what affects you. You know, last I knew, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I doubt that you've ever held anybody at gunpoint to get them into a show and forced them to watch you perform, right? Only once. <laughs> um, yeah, no, of course not. And people come to a show, and the part that I find funny is if somebody does get offended, yeah. you could just use this new thing called Google and see who you're going to go see right. before you get to a show and get offended. I, I just think now the popular thing is this sort of modern day hunting and witch trial. Like, we're not lighting people on fire, but we are trying to get them fired. 
And if you look back to those, there were no witches. And anybody who just followed the leader uh, and thought that was the right thing to do, they're all on the wrong side of history. Like, just because you think you're on the right side of it doesn't mean that you are. And now everybody who wants to go for likes or for these very simple, whatever it might be, uh, this is prejudice, this is uh, bigotry, this is xenophobic, transphobic, Islamophobic, Christianophobic, whatever you want to be, there's all new words for it, you know, right. which, which limits you to be able to make a joke about absolutely anything. And if we keep drawing a line in the sand, we're going to have nowhere to go but just to drown. Right. Do you do you think that it's it's giving way at all? Like people are starting to get it because it's weird because like Chappelle's um, special really kind of was like an F you to to everybody, you know, that that whines about things. And it seemed like maybe the pendulum was swinging. And now the Ari Shafir thing takes it right back to the beginning again. You know, where do where do you see it? You know, as somebody that's out there having to deal with it. Well, I think what Chappelle did was amazing, and people hated that special, even though it had a 100% audience score at one point and a 0% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. And Chappelle was being honest, and now you, if you have that point of view that he has, the response is like, okay, boomer, Uh that's all people can say because you apparently don't get progress. I don't think that that is progress. All that is is mass bullying and allowing people to be able to target one man. And I think he was being honest in his special. And about Ari, Ari trolls the internet right. and writes stuff about every celebrity who dies. Mm-hmm. When Ari wrote that thing about Kobe Bryant, he did not know his daughter was on the plane. He didn't know there were any other kids on the plane. It was it was right after he died. He didn't even know it was a helicopter crash, I think. Right. But I, that could be wrong. But I do know that he, that's it. That's all he knew was that Kobe Bryant had died. Now, it, I understand people not liking that. I get it. Like, I totally understand being offended, but threatening to shoot up a comedy club over it is just a different level of offended that I can't even wrap my head around. Yeah, it's it's insane that, uh, again, the big insanity to me is that that anybody would give anybody else's words that kind of power. You know, it's like, okay, I'll be weaker because of what you said. Who who makes that decision? Exactly. That's exactly right. And I don't understand how you can look at something like that, where it's somebody who's not somebody who's not directly related to you. Mm -hmm. And you pretend that they meant so much to you or somebody who's not directly involved in your life. Like I understand being a fan of somebody. But look, I was a fan of Eric Clapton. And I'm a fan of Eric Clapton. I've laughed so hard at jokes about him. Um, I was a fan of Paul Walker, and just the other day I heard, uh, why did Paul Walker uh, cross the street? Because he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. And I laughed. And it's like, I can't imagine being so deeply offended by something you're not directly connected to. I just don't think it's real. Yeah. And, And what it does is it makes everything, especially in your world, ungodly unfunny. There are so few comics, at least that are getting out there and are still challenging you know there's for me anyway i'm a fan of comedy obviously and part of comedy is always the challenge 
you know, it's always the challenge of of being in the comedy club and being uncomfortable. You know, there there there's something to that that makes a comic better, that makes a show better. Look, believe me, I know you know I'm a fat piece of shit, and you tell fat jokes, and believe me, <laughs> going to the comedy club and knowing that you know I'm in the comedy club, that makes me very uncomfortable that I might be, <laughs> you know, that the spotlight might get thrown on me if if the girl I'm with or something says anything. You know, it's like ooh, you know, but that's what that's what makes comedy great is that uncomfortability. At least that's what used to. That's what I think it is, too. And part of that is I had an article written on me that was very it it basically trashed me, but then said for this, but then compared me to Richard Pryor, Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr for saying that I was going uh, that route. And I'm like, well, thank you for putting me on the Mount Rushmore of comics for doing what I do. (laughs) Part of comedy is to create this comfort and then release the tension with a punchline. So when I find people say the comedy made them uncomfortable, that is shocking to me because that's the point. You're supposed to have those uncomfortable moments through a joke. If it's, in my opinion, if it's done right, it's supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable, make you squirm at times. And other times it's just supposed to be a good laugh. But to think that comedy is supposed to be comfortable it, all the time is, it just doesn't make sense. And then the idea that I have to agree with the comedian to find them funny, like, look, I don't agree with everything Dennis Miller says on the right side of the spectrum or what Bill Maher says on the left side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But I still laugh at both of them. I don't have to agree with a comic to to enjoy their point of view. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely correct, man. And, and thankfully, at least it seems, I, you know, I obviously can't speak for shows around the country, but the shows that I've seen you perform at, there hasn't been a lot of people that are, that it seems like the people that are in the room know what they're getting going in. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. And um, I have the ability to get sort of a darker comedy edge to a mainstream audience. And I don't know why I'm able to do it. I don't know if it's my upbringing and kind of like, you know, the, the, where we're from, you know, the sort of middle of the country. Mm-hmm. There's just a certain way that I've learned how to do comedy where I find it uh, people relate to it because everything I'm saying is related to me. It's something that happened usually, or it's a spin on something that's happened to me. And a lot of my stuff is true stories. So there's nothing that I'm saying there that's offensive. I'm just sort of reporting the facts and people can be offended, but there's a rhyme and reason and truth to everything that I say on stage. And people who come to my show, I'd say 99.9% of the time, get it and they're in the room and they're in the moment and they understand that it's my angle. I'm not a threatening person. Right. And and it is funny because you say some heinous stuff, but the way you say it is almost matter of fact, which makes it even more funny. You know, when, when you're talking about, you know, different, different topics where you, you get in there and you're like, eh, you know, the, I'll, I'll bring up the one about the, um, I forget what it's called on nimble fingers, but where you're talking about the drug dealer with the alligator and you, yes. it's so absurd, but it, the way you present it is so matter of fact that it's like it, it there's a funniness to that. And, and here I go explaining comedy, the worst, you know, the number one rule of what you don't do. But, you know, there's a funniness to to the matter of fact way that you present it. And, and I, I it's believable. And it's real. That's why it is. I mean, that's a true story of my, we were at my friend's house. Uh, uh, he used to sell cocaine and he kept an alligator in his garage that he would put 
cocaine in the water to make it angry. And, you know, the cops came for it one day when we were doing blow. And I always wanted to, I would tell my friends these stories and my friends knew the stories. And I remember the second I, that album came out, that was the track they used to advertise it. And I had a bunch of my friends from high school, like, Oh my God, I remember that alligator, you know, like all of a sudden it, cause so many other people have, I like I did this is not happening and you have this story where I it's called the penis master and I talk about drawing penises all over this classroom right. and the teacher going insane and it's so funny because people will say like come on did that happen yeah I went to high school with a ton of people that are in the class <laughs> who saw that special and then found the teacher and sent it to her you know so it's a it's an interesting thing I've had such a weird life at times and and a dark life at times and I'm in recovery and I've lost a lot of family members, including my parents in bad ways. And there's stuff that I can talk about and you're not alone. And sometimes people will come up to me after and say that they never were able to laugh at something that had happened to them. until they saw the way that I presented it. And that means the world to me because it shows that everything can be funny if you put it under the right microscope. Right. It definitely does, man. Well, well, Dave. In addition to having this new, um, this new CD, uh, Nimble Fingers, or I don't even know what you call it anymore. This new release, I guess, Nimble Fingers. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, audio, I guess, album, but it's not yeah. an album. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to call it. I, I'm going with release because it's released to, to different places. I guess that'll work. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. But in addition to that, you you obviously are still the. Um, the the co-host you you've lasted longer than the last guy by a lot now and you've really kind of yes. settled in to um to Anthony Cumia show uh look it always looks like you guys are having fun and it really feels like you know as somebody that literally has watched every episode since episode one it really feels like you you're not the new guy anymore you're part of it you're you're as much a part of it as Anthony now which is refreshing because he doesn't have to you know, he for when he was solo doing it, and then even when he was with Artie doing it, he had to carry it a lot. And now he doesn't. It doesn't seem like he has to carry it anymore. It seems like you bring in topics, or you're right there with stories to match his topics. It makes it for a really good show. And it took a while for you guys to, for you and Aunt, kind of to get there from the beginning. You know, obviously because you were you came in when when Artie was there, and God knows how difficult that was, but. You know, it really does feel like you found your place now. Thank you. Yeah, when I first came in, it was third mic and really uh, very joke-driven, and I was very excited to be part of the Artie and Anthony show. Sure. Um, but now what it is is I know all of Anthony's strengths, and I know how good he is at impressions, and I know how good he is at uh, – I know what people like about him. And – a part of my job as a co-host is to make sure he's set up, he's happy and he looks good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is throwing out things that will make him shine. And some of that stuff is, you know, like we were talking about a guy who had his face burned off, which is the kind of stuff we do. Right. And I said, I said he looked a bit like droopy dog because I knew Anthony would have that impression. And then he was doing, you know, a straight two minutes in a droopy dog voice talking about how his face was burned off. <laughs> right. And he, uh, the, the girl we had on was uh, holding her face, crying, laughing. And that's what I like to do. And he and I can play off of each other. I think the biggest thing, and this is what I like about doing your show, because you, you know how to do this. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem with comedy podcasts 
is people don't know when to shut the fuck up and listen. Right. And that's what they need to do. They need to stop yelling over each other, always making it a competition. Sometimes just sit back, let the other person do good and, and do the interview or make sure you're listening. So you're playing off that person. You're the best part of radio is simply improv. It's just reaction to mm -hmm. something somebody said. And that's what makes it funny. And I think so many podcasts miss that because they don't want to look like they're not the funniest one in the room. Mm -hmm. And they're just afraid to do the interview and they just talk over everybody. I don't want to do a lot of the shows I do because of that. And it's just a pain in the ass. And I want to make sure our show feels like not only is the guest welcome, but the host is shining. And I hope that that comes across. No, it, it definitely does. And what what's interesting to me watching you guys do the show is when when there are moments, especially more you than Ant, because Ant, Ant has a certain way of when he's uncomfortable, it's very obvious. You know, he really gets like nervous, like which is amazing after doing it for as long as he's done it. You kind of like prod the uncomfortable a little bit, you know, like like I, you know, I was texting you last week, like the Alan Dershowitz interview. It was clear you hated this guy. But you kept yes. prodding him and prodding him and prodding him <laughs> to keep getting him. But then you just would step back and let him say something else stupid. And then you would prod him again. And, and then Ian would prod him. And it was so funny to watch because it was obvious to a viewer. But the guy, this, this Harvard graduate super lawyer, didn't see that he was getting played. It was brilliant. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. No, yes, Anthony was playing the role of the guy who's going to keep the guest on the phone. Right. And I am, I'm polite and nice to everybody, but this guy was in all those flight logs for Epstein, all that stuff. Right. I just was not, I just was not going to have that. I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't talk to him and not, you have to, I'm sorry, you just have to explain yourself. Right. <laughs> just, it's it's not just, oh, all these girls are accusing me of stuff and it's nonsense. Well, according to the proof, you know, and he's just screaming, read my book, read my book. And I'm guessing like, oh, well, I assume your book is you saying you're innocent, right? <laughs> Unless there's like a Shyamalan twist at the end where you admit to everything. So why would I read it? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. but he I was, know what it says. And he was quick to tell you that you can get it for only $1.99. He's quick to throw that in there a dozen times, too. <laughs> Exactly. He's saying, yeah, I make no money off this. It's just for the publisher. Well, you certainly sound like somebody who's not hiding something, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I got to ask you about one other guy that you had on recently that I honestly, and, and I don't know, I, I watched it twice. I watched it when, when I watched the show, and then I watched it again when it popped up on YouTube. I I got the feeling that you really wanted to tell the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, that he was full of shit with his Jesus stuff because he, you know, he's talking about recovery and you've obviously been through recovery and he just kept saying, you can't recover without the power of Jesus and Jesus. And I, I I'm watching it and I'm, and I'm thinking, all right, Dave is not going with this, but, but you, you kind of just let him float. But I, I'm curious, were, were you like ready to just launch on him and be like, dude, that's your recovery and only your recovery. There was definitely moments where I was trying to connect with him in the sense of like, you have to have a higher power when you quit. I believe that. Sure. And I do believe in a God myself. I just feel 
that the high on Christ thing was a bit of an exaggeration. Right. And the problem on my show, and this is a problem I've always had in life, I can't hide my feelings and my faith. Right. So when people watch me, they're like, he looks like he's bored or doesn't want to be there, or he looks like he might get pissed. I can't help that. Like that's, <laughs> I can't fake smile or I look so disingenuous. So yeah, when he's going at that, my face is obviously expressing what I'm thinking and you're not wrong. And I do, I, I like Mike Yeah. and I don't ever want to, I never want to criticize someone's recovery and the fact that they would turn their life around. I think it's interesting too, that you made a pillow on crack and were able to become successful. <laughs> I just, the, the parts where I, I have trouble. And again, people could say that about anybody's stories, but the parts where I had trouble was my dealers had an intervention. This was a photo right. taken of me by them, which is weird to me. Um, you know, I, yeah, there's a, I, there's a Christian angle, which obviously appeals to so many people in the country, if you want to sell something, there's the made in the USA thing, but then he just said that he got all his cotton from Egypt. Right. So there was just parts where I'm looking at him like, are you like, and then when he said he was a lot calmer on cocaine, I'm like, dude, you look at you right now. How could you be calm on cocaine? I mean, the OxyClean guy's heart stopped because of all the blow he did. And he right. was less energy than Mike Lindell. But but Mike was very friendly, so I can't really hate on the guy, and I can't hate on the guy for being successful in capitalist America. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, there's part of it where you just kind of want to say, hey, before you just steer the conversation to exactly what you want, you kind of want to have an interview with these people. That's right. what bothers me. Like Even the Dershowitz thing, it's, it's I want to actually talk to you. So if you are innocent, why don't you just talk to me yeah. and answer these questions? I'm not trying to like hurt you. I just think everybody's so quickly quick to have a one-sided conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, you definitely had that look with, with Mike Lindell. I, I was watching, I was like, Oh my goodness. You know, cause I, I kept, cause he, and he kept taking it up a notch is what, what I think made it funny to me. And like you said, first of all, any of us that have ever bought drugs from a drug dealer know that no matter, as long as you got a dollar in your pocket, they're going to serve you there. You know, there, there's no, there's, that, that's where I don't believe if you're buying 14 days of crack off of a drug dealer and you run out of money, it's like, well, you better get that mouth ready. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was the one. Insane. <laughs> Right, he was the one where the dealers were like, "Ah, this, we're making too much money off this guy." Yeah, let's <laughs> let's stop. Let's stop with this guy. He's paying us too much. Yeah, because that's the yeah, drug, that's the drug dealer. That's always handle all this money. That's always the drug dealer's motto, right? Um, responsibility. <laughs> of course. Well, it's I think the thing that drug dealers value above all else is human life. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's always been that. It's never money. So it's, right. it's always the responsibility to make sure their addicts are getting just enough. Sure. <laughs> nice. Well, Dave, in addition to tax, um, to the Kumia show, you, um, in the last few months, you, you've taken over as the co-host on a fair one, which also airs on compound media. How, how did that, I mean, how did that come to be? I guess is the, is the question. Uh, Shane Gillis had gotten SNL, right. so uh, he just wasn't able to do it because um, he was writing for them a bit, and he just wasn't able to do it for a minute. And I think part of the look when you're going on to the very left-wing SNL 
being on a network like that. I don't know if that played into it, to be honest, but there was definitely that, that angle. And uh, Shane, obviously what happened with him was he went to SNL. Uh, once it was announced he was going to be on it, he had said a racial slur on a podcast. It was pulled out by some idiot who makes bird call sounds and writes bad poetry. Right. And uh, he was pounced on and he lost his job. Um, oh, from what I understand, though, he said he's still under contract. Um, but he had lost his job at Saturday Night Live and Tommy Pope was left with the show, Delco Proper. And both Tommy and Shane enjoyed having me on and Shane and they decided to kind of pass the torch to me to be Tommy's co-host. And uh, I was really honored because I think they're both outstandingly funny people. And I think Tommy is one of the funniest people on radio and people just don't know, know that yet. Sure. And he really is a great host. He knows how to run a show. He knows how to be good to guests. He knows how to be engaging and happy and, and like, He's just a kind soul, and I, I really love being on that show because it also allows me to say all the terrible, like, funny things I want and kind of do that uncomfortable thing in a different place. Do, do you feel like in any way that it almost – it's a freedom of sorts? And I'm, I'm certainly not shitting on Ant. I know you know that. But is there a freedom doing that show because you do, you're not expected to be the second fiddle as much? Yes, there is. Absolutely. And I, I wouldn't. And again, I know you're not shitting on him at all. And that's the truth, though, is it's less it's more my show. It's the same as when I sit in for Mike Malice and I do Nightshade. That's essentially just me doing a weekend update sort of show that's right. very irreverent, written by me. And I put it out there where it's it's a little silly and a little crazy. Somebody compared it to like weekend update meets liquid television on MTV in the nineties. And that's, yeah, it's definitely where my sensibility is and doing those shows where I have the freedom to completely be myself is, is definitely uh, a little bit easier to be honest. And it's also, I'm not competing with the greatest radio mind of all time, which is what Anthony Cumia is, right. you know, and not that we compete, but, Part of that is my job is to build him up and to have a conversation to get him going where a lot of the reasons why Ari didn't work was because it was stepping in and jumping in and doing what comics do during a interview. And Ari on his own show, for example, is a great interviewer. Sure. So it just shows how sometimes that comic mentality of being the funniest guy in the room doesn't work out if it's not your show. Right. No, you're you're absolutely correct, man. And, and for people that don't know, they can go to uh, compoundmedia.com. They should sign up. You should absolutely subscribe. It's a what is it, six dollars a month or something, and it's it's well worth it. There's a bunch of good shows on the on the network, including a, at least two shows a at least five shows a week of Dave most weeks. Yeah, uh, most weeks it'll be five shows of me. Sometimes I'm off because uh, I'm around the country doing uh, stand up, but. For the most weeks, I'm doing five shows a week. Absolutely. And Dave, where should people go to uh, keep up with you and find out where you're going to be so that they can go and see see the the comedy in the in the comedy clubs? Uh, you can go to DaveLandau.com. When you get there, you can click on tour. And if you're interested in my new album, uh, you can download it, obviously, for free on certain platforms like Apple Music, Spotify, all that stuff. Or you can purchase it on Amazon. 
And if you, like I said, just DaveLandau.com, L-A-N-D-A-U, and just click on shop. And I also have my movie, King of Detroit, and that is free on Amazon Prime. Very cool. And might I say, you have the best website in the history of comics. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Uh, the guy who did it, honestly, did a, just an amazing job, and I, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, he's a real star, isn't he? <laughs> And he really did do a kick-ass job, though, and I'm very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, dude, you know the drill, man. Um, we always end by picking a picking a song and and maybe tell us a story about it. You can pick a song, or we could play something from Nimble Fingers, or we could do both. What would you like us to wrap this one up with? Oh, man, that's actually a good idea. Um, should we do something from Middle fin- Nimble Fingers? Sure. I don't know, because now I'm thinking, do I want to pick a band, or do I want to pick... Or do both. Let's, yeah, let's do both. I like that. You know what? Let's play uh, the uh, crocodile story. Okay. We can do that. And then uh, we'll do, let's say, Breaking the Law by Judas Priest. All right. Well, let's do it right now. Check it out. (laughs) It is Dave Landau. It is, um, and then it will be Judas Priest. So check it out. It is your classic metal show. I used to do a lot of cocaine. It kept me awake to drink. <laughs> but it, I was like 20 years old, and I, I was really addicted to Coke, and we were at this Coke dealer's house. And I don't like Coke dealers, mainly because they're shady. And they always have a pet, like an exotic pet that you don't want. Yeah, man, you want, you want to look at my kimono dragon? And you're like, I just want, want an eight ball. You ever fed a llama? I, I just, what the fuck, man? So like 20 years old, we were at this Coke dealer's house and I just finished up an eight ball I bought with my friends and we're going to leave and cops start banging on the door. And the Coke dealer goes, all right guys, we're just not gonna answer it. And I was like, okay, that's cool. (laughs) Seems like a good idea. And then they start making their way to the garage he had out back and he goes, oh shit. I go, what? Is that where you keep your stash? And he goes, no man, alligator. You have an alligator in your garage? He's, yeah. Yeah. He's probably pretty angry. I keep it in two baby pools, surrounded in chicken wire. Okay. It's probably Jonesin'. I'm sorry, Jonesin'? Because, yeah, I put cocaine in the water to make it angry. You have a crocodile in your garage right now? So they kick open the door and they are wrestling out an alligator. I don't know if it wanted blow, but it was fucking pissed. They wrestle it out, they put it in the back of a paddy wagon, they put a note on the door and they drive away. And then the Coke dealer walks out and grabs the note off the door. We're thinking it's a ticket or something. It's just a citation. He goes, oh, don't worry. It just says I can't have uh, alligators in my garage anymore. That was the first time I said, well, I'm very sorry to hear about your alligator. I'd like to buy another eight ball, please. I always wonder what happened to that thing, though. Like, what if it was addicted to cocaine? It's just in jail trying to itch itself with its little hands. You see it on the street with a wig, like, I suck your dick. Not what? Not with those teeth, alligator. (laughs) 